Welcome to the Soccer Podcast, where we talk soccer in Delaware, soccer in the rest of the world, and everything in between. My name is Sebastian, and this week I'm joined here by Dwayne. Happy Friday, Sebastian. Happy Friday, as my daughter called it today, unprompted, fun Friday. Fuck. Uh-oh. <laughs> she, said, she said it's fun Friday today. Uh-oh, she must be ready to go to trade with Soccer Dad. Maybe, yeah. Uh, so she she definitely made that made that comment to this mo- me this morning, and I was like, uh, okay, all right, cool, like Fun Friday, I guess. Um, so part of Fun Friday is talking about what Fun Monday is going to look like. So Monday, our rec registration opens up officially. So we are really excited about the fact that we will open up rec registration on Monday. Yeah, uh, rec time. You know, it's it's great to get all those kids out. I know a bunch of parents have already been asking. I'm like, it's only January, but, you know, before you know it, March will be here. The grass will be back and we'll be ready to play again. So um, happy to see that records get ready to start back up. Yeah. Make sure you go to DelawareUnion.com and go into our spring rec website and uh, go in and go in and register starting Monday. Also register for our discovery program for our U3 to U6 program. That's going to be really exciting. So the, the the season this year starts March 20th. That's the first game weekend. And we'll run all the way to May 15th, which will be the 3v3 tournament this year. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, well, I'm in travel or I'm a rep player, invite a friend that's never played soccer before. Or invite a family member who may be, you know, three or four to do our discovery program. It's honestly... One of the best ways to get kids involved is to just show them the first time. Here's a sport. I play this sport. They look up to you. And you know, we'll be able to see them go up the pipeline as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a really big point. So uh, while you're on our website, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. That You can find the podcast on our website. Make sure you, you like and subscribe to our podcast. Also, make sure you follow us on, on social media on facebook.com slash Delaware Union. On Instagram at Delaware Union Soccer and on Twitter at DE Union Soccer. And of course, can't forget the Delaware Diamonds, Delaware Union Diamonds. Make sure you follow at DE Union Diamonds on Facebook and on Instagram. Uh, tryouts coming March 16th. So make sure you go on our website and register for the tryouts or for the, the interest. Form go on our website because we have a lot going on. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. You got rec registration, you got travel registration, player interest forms for travel for our women's team. You got our podcast on there. You got the discovery program, all kinds of stuff on there. Um, so before we dive into our interview, we're actually going to do the things a little differently today because our interview is going to be um, extremely important. And I want to make sure it's the, the the majority of our of our podcast so uh, before we dive into our interview, uh, we're actually going to go ahead and go into the, our player of the match into uh, our on this day in soccer history. So, Duane, my player of the match this week is Emiliano Sala, uh, who passed away two years ago yesterday uh, as he was it's traveling. Been it's been two years. Wow. Yep, it's been two years, January 21st, 2019. Um, this Argentinian player who was uh, flying between France and England 
Um, he was coming back from France to England after uh, signing his final papers from Nan into getting transferred to Cardiff. And his plane went down in the English Channel um, and unfortunately lost his life. Um, and it's a story that I think took the world by storm because the, the 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 plane couldn't be found for a few days. And it was a very sad, sad moment. So my player of the match is Emiliano Sala. Yeah, I definitely remember that. There was there's a little bit of legal battle going on on. Yes. Do we pay the fee or do we not pay the fee? I'm not really sure what went on with that, but it's hard to believe that's been two years. Yeah. Yeah. Who's your player of the match this week? My player of the match is Inaki Williams. Inaki Williams. So I, I feel like this guy, every time they, he plays Barcelona, this is like his World Cup. He's like, all right, I'm ready to play. Like he shows up. He's a great pacey striker. When they play it, when Atletico Bilbao plays Barcelona, that's the guy you want to watch. And he just causes Barcelona fits. No matter if they're a Champions League winning team or if they're the team they are now, he just causes them fits. And scored that decisive goal in extra time, gets subbed off right after. And, just, and what a what a goal did he score. Yeah. Now, the, uh, interesting fact about Athletic Bilbao. Did you know that Athletic Bilbao only takes players on their club that have uh that are just that have either born in the baltic area or uh have baltic descent to them i did not know that do you know how many international players have played in athletic bilbao we how many players not from spain five six in the entire history six players yeah that is crazy it's crazy it's crazy that they can be that successful only drawing from players that are from that area i mean if that's your club philosophy you're gonna go all in on it yeah go all in on it right absolutely I mean, you see it with the i mean you see it with the union right they don't they don't draft players no will develop them yeah right so if that's your philosophy it works I, mean, I don't know any other clubs that sold few players in the transfer market to Europe this year from MLS. So it's true. On this day in history, so we're gonna we have a we have a two part on this day in history. Part one is a follow up to one that we did in December of last year or 2020 or this. Yeah, it's hard to talk about 2020 being last year, but um, in December. So, uh, Duane, you might remember there was we talked about Bradford who Bradford went on to be uh, Arsenal in the League Cup. Uh, and they 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 beat them in penalty kicks, and they went on to the, at that point, would have been the semifinal. So Bradford, in the semifinal, the first leg against Aston Villa, they won in the second leg on January 22nd. Um, they lose 2-1, to one, but because of what they had done their first game, they end up winning on aggregate 4-3, to three, and then they go into the final against Swansea. So that was part one of On This Day in History. Part two, which I think for our podcast is an extremely relevant topic and it's extremely cool. Part two. So January 22nd, 1927 was the first match to ever be broadcasted on the radio. Ever. So 1927 uh, Arsenal is playing Sheffield United and it becomes the first broadcast on BBC radio 
So uh, to me, as somebody that's been on the radio, uh, that's that's researched some radio history before, the fact that we're on a podcast, which is an audio only uh, uh, vehicle, um, it's pretty cool that January 22nd, they broadcast it. That, that opened the door for our podcast. Yeah, and I'm looking at the description of how they how he explained how they played yes. it's like so it's almost a, like reading braille <laughs> yeah so they so they had they had a they had a a, a pitch match or a pitch uh map they divided the the map they divided the the field in different sections and then he would be able to talk about the sections of the field based on the uh based on the where the ball was uh so Balls I think really t3 cool. So and this is and for me this this hits home because in Argentina listening to to radio broadcasts is a really big thing. Um, it, it's it, the idea of even going to the stadium and having a little pocket radio that you can bring up to your ear to listen to the broadcast while you're watching the game uh, is a, is a really big thing. So that was on this day in history, January twenty second, nineteen twenty seven, the first broadcast on radio for a soccer match. All right, fair play of the week. My fair play of the week goes to Arsenal and Manchester United for finally agreeing to leave, uh, to let three players that they have not used in like a really long time leave uh, six months before their contracts are up. And so that way they can actually go play somewhere else. So Ozil finally leaves Arsenal. Finally leaves, finally leaves Arsenal. Uh, is going back to his... Uh, to his local boyhood club of Fenerbahce to play there. So good for him. Uh, Marcos Rojo is leaving uh, Manchester United to possibly play at Boca Juniors. And uh, Sergio Romero, the goalkeeper, uh, finally leaves Manchester United and will probably play somewhere in Europe because he doesn't want to go back to Argentina. So. Hey, free Ozil. I'm glad that Ozil is going to be back. Uh, definitely. Tony. I'm I'm definitely that's now my new weekly league, the Turkish league. Back on Turkish Super League. Yeah. All right. Do you have a fair play of the week this week, Dwayne? Uh fair play of the week goes out to shout out to the Philadelphia Union. Uh love what they're doing. Um, staying connected with Brendan Aronson and Mark McKenzie. Uh, even though they're they've left the club. They're still highlighting, promoting. Hey, you know, I think Brendan Aronson scored his first goal. He scored his first goal, yeah. Had the assist, so they're still highlighting. And I think it's part of showing those younger kids, like, you know, Brendan was you. Like, he was in the academy. He was there. Now he's overseas. So, yeah. shout out to them. I guess their academy system. Everybody over there. Yeah. All right. So, Duane, you, you know I've talked about the fact that I'm from Coral Springs, Florida before and how – uh, it's developed some of the coolest people I've ever met, including my wife. And and when I talk about, you know, anytime you're in a relationship and you, you meet other people, they're like, hey, how, how did you two meet? Or, and uh, my wife and I have an interesting story. We, we grew up in the same town of Coral Springs, grew up in playing in the same soccer club. And when we went off to college, we, we kind of lost touch until one day um, – I decided to to we were I believe it was December or January and I I wanted to play pickup soccer, and so I texted one of my friends who I was a referee with. And I said, "Hey, you want you want to let's, let's you want to play pickup soccer?" And she's like, "Yeah, yeah, I'll bring I'll bring one of my friends, Brittany." 
And she's like, oh, yeah, I know Brittany. And then we reconnected. And then it uh, turns out we were going to the same college uh, and pretty much the rest is history. So one of one of the people that I, I am thankful for and one of the people that I will tell the story of to my kids anytime they ever ask, hey, how did you and mom meet? Um, I will say, well, it was because Nicole. So Nicole Swickle, she is the senior manager, communications manager at Red Bull. And she's also the owner of Nashville Fit Magazine. Nicole, how's it going? It's good. It's weird to hear you say that. And uh, the story of you guys meeting, I forget about it. And I like, I'm just smiling, just remembering and then seeing your kids on camera and how far you guys have come. Oh, yeah. It's uh it's definitely been a while. Um, it's definitely been quite quite a journey. Uh, and we're going to talk about your journey today uh, because I think you have such an interesting story and such an interesting message to be able to tell our, our young players. Um, so we're going to start at the beginning. Okay, so okay. We'll, we'll, get to, we'll get to Red Bull. We'll get to Nashville Fit in a little bit. Uh, but we're going to start at the beginning. So you grew up in Coral Springs just like I did. Uh, playing in the same soccer club just like I did, and you are a referee just like I was. So one of the things that I experienced as a referee, uh, which is difficult, and I don't really talk about this often, um, but uh, it it, it does become difficult at times, and Dwayne was a part of of something that happened about a a year ago or a year and a half ago. That was That became a very, very shocking experience as an adult, but... When you're young and you're a referee, you tend to at times get opportunities um, to progress as a referee, especially if you're not playing at a high level, so, which was my case, for example. And I, at one point, I got the opportunity to to be part of President's Cup in Florida. And President's Cup in Florida is a big deal because only the top 10 uh, referees in each region get selected. Uh, so it's it's a really big deal to be able to be selected. You get assessed. You're part of the the referee academy. And you get a you get a you get a fancy white T-shirt that says Referee Academy on it, and you feel extremely special. One of the things that ends up happening is you get assessed in every game that you do. Um, and and I was assessed in a few of the games, and and one of the feedbacks that I always look for, I always look for for the feedback. I said, all right, how did I do as a referee? Was I did I keep up with the game? And did I manage to make the right calls, or was I in, was I in the right place? And I've always been a bigger person. Um, not only am I not only probably somewhat above average height, I guess, for 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 a man. I, I'm not entirely sure what the average height is, but I think I'm pushing close to six feet. Um, but I've always been a, a bigger guy. And it's always something that I struggled with, even even when I was swimming and playing soccer. Uh, it was always a struggle. But referee was always the outlet of something that I knew I could do. It had nothing to do with my technical ability as a player. It had nothing to do with my speed as a swimmer. I was able to somewhat be in control of that environment to a certain extent, and I was and I was good at it. Um, and in one of the assessments, one of the things that that was difficult at times to hear was, well, you know, from a from an appearance perspective, it it doesn't. You need to lose some weight. So I so then my response was, oh, I'm sorry, was was I not keeping up with the game? No, no, no. You were keeping up with the game. It's just, you know, it's how it looks. Yes. It and, and my response was always like, but if I wasn't if I wasn't away from the play, if I was on the right place at the right time, 
And at the end of the game, I wasn't huffing and puffing, trying to catch my breath. What did it matter what I looked like? And it was always difficult when I was, when I was encouraged to, to move up and, and become a grade seven referee. And I signed up for the grade seven certification and you, there was a fitness component to it. Um, and it wasn't a difficult fitness component, but I think from a mental standpoint, it, it became like climbing Mount Everest. Um, so I, I felt I, I, I registered for it twice. The first time I completely skipped it. Not even didn't give it, didn't even didn't even give it a second thought. I was like, nope, not doing it. The second time, I actually woke up in the morning and I was like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna get ready. Uh, got everything on and I got to the door and I said, nope, can't can't walk out the door. Um, so honestly, like it was a it was one of those moments where you're just standing at the door, going like, all you gotta do is open the door, walk out the door, get in the car, drive there, and you're and you're good. I knew everybody that I was going to be testing with. I knew who my instructors were going to be. It was not a high pressure situation because it was, it was an environment that I was comfortable in. Uh, at that point, you know, I was, I was probably my freshman or sophomore year in high school or my freshman year of high school or sorry uh, of college. And by that point I had already refereed high school games. I had done a couple of college games. I, I was, I was, I was in an environment and again, and we've had, we've had a, we've had Marcos de Oliveira on the podcast who was, was part of that entire, the entire class of referees that all came from Coral Springs that ultimately some have become MLS referees. Some have become futsal referees. Nicole and I know a person who was, who was ref the world, the world cup futsal, the, the futsal world cup um, who we all refereed with and we were all in the same fields and, but I couldn't do it uh, because I felt like the pressure for me to look like somebody that I wasn't going to be. Um, my journey with fitness is, is difficult at times. And, and there's times where I feel better about myself and there's times where I don't, but ultimately it's mine and, and I do it for myself and for what I can provide or hopefully be here for a long time for my kids and, and my wife and my family, not for, somebody to tell me I'm a good enough referee or not. Um, so I think that Cole has a very similar story. And so I, I want you to be able to kind of give your side of it if you can. Yeah, that resonates that. I mean, every piece of that and that same fitness test, I went to go watch to see what the test looked like. And I was watching people run and I was standing in the middle of the field with the person who was administering the test. And he pointed to a girl and I won't say her name, but she was very fit, high level. And he said, you would get more respect on the field if you looked like her. <sighs> this is a, doesn't matter the color of his skin, but a white man telling a adolescent, pretty much female, Yep. how she should look. This guy knows nothing about my history with Crohn's disease. He knows nothing about my fitness level because he hasn't seen me run yet. Right. All he's telling me is what I should look like. Yeah. That's where my eating disorder began. I loved soccer and I went home and I said, I need to look like that to be better, to be at that level, regardless of my performance as it was. And I started eating less and just it spiraled out of control to the point where anorexia is how it started. 
I wasn't eating. Finally, I got hungry, decided to eat, and it turned into bulimia, so I would binge and purge. We can dig into that later, but I got ultimately so weak that I couldn't even ref soccer anymore. And and I want to and I want to pause there because I want to and I want to take this step by step. Um, yeah. I want to make sure I want to make sure we cover all the bases of this. So I was I, at times, and this is tough to talk about because I don't think you and I've ever had this conversation before. Uh-huh. So it's great that we're just doing it for the first time, li- recording it. That's that makes it even better. Um, so you and I were were refing games at times, and and this is probably. Uh, you know, once you and I got to college and you're a couple of years younger than I am. So I was already in college. You were in high school. And then when you got on, when, when you went off to college, sometimes we would see each other whenever you came back from Tampa, uh, you, you'd come back and we would do some games together. And at times, one of the things that became difficult, at least from my aspect was because you and I grew up together and, and I, I could sense, and I texted you the other day, I could sense the fact that you it, it, it you didn't look like yourself and you weren't you didn't look comfortable but i didn't know how to say it uh, so you know if so what would be the advice you would give my whatever late teens early 20s self to say how how do you even approach that is that something that you approach is there a way to do it properly because i honestly in that moment I had no idea what to say outside of maybe possibly talking to my dad about it, who, you know, as well. Um, going, I don't think Nicole looks like herself or, or how do I help her in, in that, in not really knowing how to do that. So how, what would be a, a piece of advice in that moment that, that, that you give somebody, especially somebody who right now coaches girls soccer. Yeah. I mean, it's a great question. It's something I think about often. Why didn't someone help me? Why didn't someone pull me out of this? This lasted seven years. And once I came out on the other side, almost everyone in my life said to me, I noticed this. I saw this. I didn't know what to say. I wish they said something. There's no magic words, but just, hey, are you okay? And I would check in on the people you love if you see something is going on with them. And don't be afraid to upset them because at the end of the day, your intentions are in the right place and that's all you can do. And if that creates, you know, a wedge between you two, so be it. Your heart was in the right place, but it's interesting that everyone saw it and no one said something. And looking back seven, 10 years ago, um, yeah, I wish someone could just gently say to me, are you okay? What's going on? Do you want to grab a bite to eat together? Right. Um, but you don't, you don't know. And on the flip side, I wasn't ready to receive help. And until you're ready to say like, I'm done with this, no one's going to get through to you. So I think it's definitely a two way street of other people opening the door to conversation, but you being receptive to the help. Yeah, absolutely. So we, all right. So, so that happened when you went to watch the fitness assessment. Um, so let's fast forward to you now going to USF. So you're, you're at the university of Southern Florida. Um, you still occasionally referee mm-hmm. and that's still part of your life. Um, I think you took it probably a step further where you were, um, you were in the, in the elite level of the youth soccer part 
for, for a period of time, especially as you went off to college and you were still able to referee some some high level games. So you talked about how and I, and I read your article on Nashville fit, and that's something that we're going to send out to our players as a as a component to this podcast, because I think it's extremely important for everybody to read it. So I think. Though, and and you and you mentioned this before when you're writing it, it it seems it flows a little bit differently and i think i think i think when you when i've read it and i've read it a couple of times when i read it i can i can hear the voice not necessarily obviously i know you so i know i know i can picture your voice but i think when you read it it's written in such a way that i think it can resonate with people um so i think that's so but you've talked about in your article how it was your sophomore year of college when you've when the next part of of the eating disorder developed. So can you can you talk about that? Yeah, you know I think when the referee um, assessor assigner whoever it was made the comment to me um, at first it was like a slow burn, um, but I was introduced to laxatives in college. It feels so weird just to say that out loud. Um, but I learned that you could eat whatever and purge whatever. Um, and it became a really nasty cycle um, because I was heavier and people were noticing me. Guys were noticing me. I was in college. I was getting the attention that maybe I previously hadn't gotten. I looked better on the soccer field. I wasn't running any faster. I wasn't any sharper. If anything, it was the complete opposite. Um, but from the outside looking in until it got bad, until you saw me at that point, you know, I was getting in shape and yeah, laxatives became my drug of choice. And I lived in that world for seven years, um, drinking magnesium citrate, taking pills, anything that would get the food out of my body and keep me thin. And I, I can't imagine you know, going through that. And I think, I think the, I think the hard part is, and, and again, this is almost the unspoken thing. And I'm glad we're having this conversation because um, the, there's nothing, the hard part about this, I believe is, is where you and I grew up in a society or in a, in a, in a, in a small tight group of people that that is the referee community, especially the South Florida ref, referee community, where we all know each other. It's 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 not it's not uncommon for um, for me to turn on the TV and see somebody and go, oh, I, I know that person. I used to referee with that person. Or it's not uncommon for I've gone to um, international friendlies in Florida. I've gone to MLS games and go, wait, I that I know that guy or I know that girl. Like it, it's it it's common because it's everybody knows everybody it's um it's a very tight group of people but i think the hard part is when you don't look like that person when you don't look like the rest of them when you and i i felt like that um and it was difficult for me because i took it seriously but i also knew you know i learned very early on as a referee or or thanks to mimi who who passed on that mm -hmm. knowledge to me uh you're not there to to showcase yourself. You're there to if you can go unnoticed in a game, if you can go the entire game without somebody saying anything to you, and you walked away and everybody's like, "Oh, I don't even remember even remember the referee." Great, you've you've done your job, and you and I have done games with 
with people that definitely wanted to take charge, definitely wanted to 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 assert their authority on the field. Um, and if we really wanted to dive deeper into it, I think for some of the personalities, it, it was a way, it was the only avenue that they've had to, to have a sense of control. Um, I personally never really craved that part of it. So it didn't really matter to me if I was unnoticed, noticed if I was AR1, AR2, it, I didn't really care. Um, I was there because I enjoyed it. I was there because it paid well. I mean, let's, let's be honest. It, 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 it did pay well. Um, but I was there because it was fun. And the moment it didn't become fun, it was the moment that I decided to step away from that elite level. And I think that's where, where Lou, um, who, who's a person that taught me a lot on, on why you do certain things. And, and Lou was a person that didn't care about being the elite referee. He cared about wanting people that wanted to be referees and, and and I knew, and it was there was a there was a change in in when I knew that I had found my place to a certain extent in the referee world that I where I really enjoyed it again was when I was no longer had games with Lou. So Lou was our assigner, and Lou would do games with you. Lou would take two or three of the middles, and you would be his ARs, and Lou would try to talk to you about certain things as you went, and you knew you graduated to almost the next level of it when you didn't do games with Lou. So they, there became a point where I didn't do games with Lou anymore. And I had the younger referees with me. And it was my job now to to teach the next the next class of referees. And and I think that was the right thing. It, nobody's perfect. Um but just like anything else, if you're doing it for the right reasons, then it then it feels good. And I think at times there's so much pressure put in on put on us as, as people to to either look or feel a certain way, and we talked about this on the podcast last week about um, we talked about developing so, the soft skills when it comes to to sports and how those are the hardest things to develop because you don't ever want to be classified as soft. It, that mm. vulner, vulnerability of 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 admitting that you don't know everything. Or admitting the fact that there are things that you need help on. Um, so can vulnerability you- is one of my favorite topics, especially as I get older and learn and grow. Like, I, yeah, you hit the nail on that one. I would say. So, how did you? Can you talk about how how that moment came about for you? That moment where you realized I need help. I mean. There's so many layers to this, just you talking about soccer and appearance and Lou and that whole story. And you add in the female side, right? So your uniform doesn't even fit you, right? You have to get it tailored if you're high level. They don't make female uniforms. They're they're harder to get your hands on. I'll say that. Um, You're on a field of men who probably look at you as less than, hate to say it, it's true. And then on top of it, you're expected to look a certain way. So it's this game that you love and you're passionate about, but then you add in the politics and what you're supposed to look like or not supposed to look like, it becomes a lot. Um, So that's kind of like the female layer that I'll add to that. With my eating disorder, um, so this guy said something to me, I was losing weight, I was looking good, um, 
I was taking the laxatives and I would hit plateaus. So I would stop losing weight and I'm like, what's going on? This has always worked for me. And the number of laxatives would increase more and more and more to the point where one night I took too many and I was living in LA working for Red Bull. I had trouble breathing and I was in the shower, like trying to calm myself down because if something happens to me, I'm alone. Who's thinking about me? Who, who knows where to find me? Like that's a low point when you're, I think I was probably 27 at the time. Um, and that morning, I, obviously I survived, but I, uh, I reached out for help. I just, I hit my breaking point and I was like, I don't want to live like this. Um, and I didn't go to an eating disorder specialist. I went to someone who she had been through an eating disorder, um, but she was a bodybuilder and I just wanted to fall in love with fitness and feel comfortable eating um, and using working out as like the tool to help me feel comfortable eating. So how did that entire journey of fitness, um, how did that change your life in general? Because I know it's a um, big part of your life now. It is. Um, you know, I just started working out with her. She was a personal trainer, um, but she understood the the brain gains too, is what we called them. So the mind side, like you cannot look a certain way and expect it to fix what's going on on the inside. And I did not know that. So we had to do it in tandem. It was a lot of gratitude exercises, a lot of her pushing me to do therapy. Why, why do I need to have this eating disorder? What is triggering it? And typically with binging and purging, um, it's related to control. So I had this control on the field that I thought I was losing. Now I'm transferring that to control of eating disorder. Like I need to, it's this control thing, um, which I'm still working through and figuring out what that means for me. Um, but with her, we worked out and it showed me the value in showing up for myself every single morning. That was my commitment, an hour a morning. And then like the endorphins kicked in and I started feeling good. And I was, it was just, I was finding Nicole again. And, you know, I hadn't been roughing soccer. I had stopped because of everything going on. So this was kind of like my newfound passion within sport. Um, and it felt better than roughing felt. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's interesting when, when you find, when you find something that fits. Um, and I went through a period of time where, where once I decided to stop roughing because I just honestly didn't have time to do it anymore. I was in college. Um, Brittany and I had gotten more serious and, and, and that was a big part of my life. And, and I decided that I was, I was done with that chapter of my life and I wanted to move on to the coaching side of the, that and I think the moment I, I stepped on the field as a coach is the moment I realized that I had found my place um, and it was to a certain extent it was a it was a place where where outside of small periods um, I it didn't I wasn't going to be judged on how I looked even though that's come up over the years um, I wasn't going to be judged on my appearance, I was going to be judged on my knowledge and my, my, my ability to develop soccer players. And I think that's in, and that was one of the shocking moments that I had. And Dwayne was, Dwayne was on the field before. Um, when, when a guy, when a coach in the middle of a game decided to, 
to, to my face, uh, tell me to sit down and then used uh, the word fatso, uh, which at 32 years old, um, in the middle of December, I believe it was doing, uh, did not necessarily feel all that good. Uh, it took me off guard. Um, it caused a, it's a, a, a stoppage moment of the game. Um, some of the players heard it. Um, and, and I think the hardest part was realizing that that moment and I was drove and I drove home and, and it was, I had about an hour drive home and the entire way home. I was, I honestly wanted to, to, to burn something down. Like I, I wanted to punch a pillow. I wanted to punch the guy. And then I realized that instead of that, I, I kind of went around, went around the other way. And I said, you know what? Like, if that's the, if that's what you're going to think about when you see me, then I feel sorry for you. Like, I, I I went through that moment of and it was it was interesting the week after I had another tournament and uh, and he was there again and I had to coach against him um, and I've never seen somebody run away from me so like just completely find every single possibility to keep away from me as much as possible and I had coached and, and Dwayne knows the, the the team that I coached him with the second time and it was my the team that I had for five years and it was a group of girls that would that would step into a fight if they needed to uh for me um and i had told them that story of practice and i told them that we were going to be playing against this and i told them that because their first reaction was like point him out let's go like we're, we're <laughs> gonna and um and but i said no i said no we're going to show up and we're going to do the right thing because yes i could go up and confront him but what does that do it, it just proves the point that that I'm going to let that affect me. No, I, I'm honestly just going to be like, you know what? If that's what you think, then, man, I feel sorry for you. And not only not only do I feel sorry for you, I feel more sorry for the players that you coach. That in a moment of tension, your go-to as a soccer coach, and furthermore, as a female soccer, as a, as a coach of female soccer players, your go-to was to make a remark about my appearance. I feel sorry for the... I feel sorry for the players and I feel bad for the parents that pay your club for you to coach their, their daughters. Uh, um, that is resonating so hard right now. Just the sentiment that hurt people hurt people. And it takes a long time to learn that about yourself and about other people. And yeah, the impact of people's words, people need to watch their words. You don't know how it's going to affect someone. When I was thin, I was too thin. When I was heavy, I was too heavy. When I started bodybuilding, my shoulders were too big and I looked like a man. You will never please everyone. And I'm sorry that you had to experience that. And I'm sorry that people do on a daily basis, men, women, kids, and your sponges at that age. So the fact that your girls like stood up for you, like that's a sentiment, like that's really cool that they did that. Yeah. And I think, I think it's, you know, part of it is we we teach our players certain values. Um, and Dwayne, Dwayne and I have have been on on a lot of sidelines together over the last couple of years, and and we talk about the game being to a certain extent at times a fight, and and who's gonna who's gonna come out on the other end, and but we also talk about the fact that then when the when the whistle blows and you step off the field, the fight's done, you move on, right? So you're really just looking for that competitive edge in the moment, and then when that's done, that's done. 
and obviously a fight on the on the sense of just the competitiveness of the game, not actually physically uh, assaulting anybody in the middle of a soccer game. But we also talk about the fact that there are moments where you just walk away. Um, we, we <laughs> Duane and I were in a game uh, a few months ago, and this is probably one of the last or one of the games um, before the pandemic hit. Um, so it was probably early 2020 or, or late 2019. And uh, we talked about we were in a game and uh, and we were playing against a team that was a little more physical than us and was trying to get our players and you've and you've been on you've been on both the playing side and the the refereeing side of a U17 U18 U19 girl soccer game it doesn't take much for the game to go completely out of hand uh so we've talked about our ability just to almost laugh it off sarcastically at times but laugh it off when someone steps into your face and they really want to like they want to get a reaction out of you just just laugh and walk away uh because at that moment like what do you like you've already if you think about it if you break down the moment you've won Right. You, that, that small little fight, that small little argument, you've won if you can step away and just laugh it off. If, if instead of you engaging in it. Right. Can you get them? Can you just do something different the next time instead of. Instead of engaging in that moment. So. So this brings me to my next my next topic, which is and you talked about how your trainer was a bodybuilder and how you went into that uh into that realm you you became a bodybuilder so how was how was that experience and how did that come about oh man um yeah it's crazy hearing you play back my journey going from soccer referee to eating disorder to fitness enthusiast to competitive bodybuilder like people are probably listening like what <laughs> what do you do who are you i don't recognize myself anymore um to be honest I just got so into it and I felt so good and I felt powerful. And uh, this is a little off topic, but I got a massage one day and someone told me that I bodybuild to protect my soft interior, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was funny. I was like, I didn't ask for a psychic reading, dude, but thank you. <laughs> Probably true. Um, yeah, I just, I feel good. And it's beyond the physical. It's, if I can wake up, if I can prep my food, if I can be this disciplined in this aspect of my life, how does that transcend to other areas of my life? And it has, um, you know, I eventually did compete, um, in August, I got on stage, the full bikini heels. So out of my element. So the girl that had the eating disorder walked on a stage in a bikini. And that was kind of my like FU moment to everything that I had been through. Um, it's been a journey and yeah, all people see is the physical, but what I've gotten out of it is just so far beyond that. And it's really hard to articulate that. Um, people see me and they're like, she's fit. Cool. No, like I've been through hell and back. And that's the part that I think myself and anyone who has been on any kind of journey of their own need to do a better job of back to being vulnerable, being more vulnerable about, because when I opened up, I opened up a can of worms for people to come to me for help and support and sharing similar experiences from alcoholism to depression, not wanting to get out of bed in the morning. And it, 
That's a lot. I'm throwing a lot at you right now. But in 2020, the world needs a story they can connect to. And like me sharing, me going through that and me sharing it, making my mess, my message kind of shaped me and my presence in the industry and how I want to show up. And, it, and it's interesting you bring that up. So you talked about how all of a sudden you've gone, you go from from going through this journey and still being on this journey to now becoming a, a role model and people coming to you. And I know that's a tough word or tough two words, but, and that's, and I think from a vulnerability perspective, this is a part that nobody can ever train you on. Um, I don't care how many psychology degrees you may or may not have. Nobody can ever train you, I don't think, to ever be a role model, especially if you're a role model or people are reaching out to you to be a role model because of what you've gone through in your life. Because what you've gone through in your life is extremely personal and it prepares you or it prepared you to the person that you are now, but it doesn't necessarily prepare you to, to give advice to other people. Um, so how have you embraced that part of it and, and did that help you continue on your journey? It definitely did. Um, it, the word role model definitely sit funny because you don't, you know, a few years ago I looked in the mirror and I was broken and then I, all I did was stick to my plan. I was consistent. I shared my story and now people look to me like that's wild. Um, what was the question? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm on one right now thinking about this. No, but, uh, yeah. So I shared my story in the magazine too. And it's hard. I'm not a trained professional and I don't claim to be, um, but I can listen and I can empathize and I can offer my story. Right. I think you just said something that brought me back to one of the initial questions that I asked you, which was what could I have done? You know, when I, when I saw the signs or I saw some of the things, what could I have done? And you just said it, you can listen, right? You can, mm-hmm. you can. And I think listening is such an underrated quality at times the ability to just keep your mouth shut to a certain extent and just just let the other person talk and go listen you can and i had this conversation with my sister recently where i said listen if you ever need to talk to me all you need to say is listen i gotta tell you something i don't want any judgments comments i really just need you to hear hear what i need what what i what you need to say and and i will do that for you um because i think so I think I think part of part of being vulnerable or part of opening up is not really knowing what what's going to come out the other side. You know, it's it's what's gonna what's gonna happen when you say this to somebody when you open up. And and I've known Dwayne for a couple of years, and uh, I don't think I've ever talked to him directly about what I went through as a as a as a young referee. Um, and it's not something that I naturally open up and talk about. Hey, I'm Sebastian. Here's what I've gone through. Um, but, but I know for for the fact that he's listening to it right now, I know him and I may or may not have a conversation about it at some point in the future. But I think just for somebody to be able to listen to it, um, I think is extremely important. And I and I want you to 
quickly talk or not quickly, but I want you to talk about how important nutrition um, became for you, especially, or how important nutrition is for you, considering that again, Dwayne and I coach youth soccer players. Uh, we both coach a high school girls, high school age girls team. How important was that for you? It's so important. Um, you know, you can work out all day. If, if aesthetic is your thing, you can work. I mean, anything, right? Sport performance, but you can be active. But unless you are supplementing it with the right food, it's not going to work. Everything has to be in tandem. Um, and there's no right or wrong. I mean, in my world, there's counting macros, there's prepped food, there's this, that, and the other thing. I was eating like three tubs of ice cream a day and purging. I didn't feel good. Who cares what the number on the scale said? It was 110. That was like my magic number. But if I woke up in the morning and I took my clothes off and I stood on the scale and it said 110 pounds, it was a great day. That's BS. I was eating ice cream. I was eating sugar. I was getting depressed. When I eat my chicken, when I do the thing I'm supposed to do and I'm fueling my body to do the job that I need it to do, I feel better detaching myself from the number on the scale is still very much an ongoing battle. Um, especially with the show world and competing, like you get down to super lean, hardly any body fat, and then you're supposed to go back up and be okay with it. I'm not, I mean, to be honest, I'm still in the ebbs and flows of it and having to check myself, but, um, nutrition is important. I think it's what brings it all together and you can train an hour a day, but it's the other 23, 24 hours of the day that, you have to rely on nutrition and headspace. So what would be your advice for a young female soccer player or young person in general? um, If they do feel like they are, they are, they're going through something that maybe they can't explain, or maybe they look at themselves in the mirror and it's not the person that they are, they think they're supposed to be. You know at your core what you want to be and what you're capable of. And it is so frustrating when you feel stuck and you're trying to see the light and you're trying to figure out what changes I need to make here and there to become that person. Follow your passion. Like if you follow your passion in your career, you will be successful. If you find it, if you follow it in your hobby, you will be successful. Like, Find those people and those activities that like just bring out the light in you. Even if it's an hour and a day when you're having a bad day, it'll start to build and build and build and you will find yourself again. Um, One thing I'm bad at doing is reaching out when I need help, reaching my circle of friends, people that are better than me at things like your circle is everything. Um, And having that support system is crucial. And honestly, especially right now in these times. Yeah, absolutely. So b- before we wrap up, I want to I want to talk briefly about what 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 you can tell us about your role at Red Bull. Yeah, so I started with Red Bull in college. Um I was like a campus rep and I've grown with the company for a decade, which is that's crazy. Awesome. That, that's that's a huge number to be <laughs> to be anywhere. I'm 30. So the fact that I've spent a third of my life at this place, um, it's pretty wild. Holy. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. Um, 
So I work with our athletes, our artists across our events, can launches, um, and I oversee media relations um, and help support content creation. So it's fun. It's exciting. It's, you know, social media is always changing. So having to be on the pulse of that, having to have relationships with local and national media. So we're going to take you away from Red Bull because I want to talk about, and this is the part I'm extremely excited about. Cause when I saw this pop up on social media, I told, I turned to Brittany and I was like, Oh my God, like that's, that's awesome. So you own Nashville fit magazine. You own a magazine. Yeah. How, how did that come about? And what is, what is that role like? So I've started referring to myself recently as recklessly ambitious because I say yes to things before I actually like play the tape through and come up with a game plan. That's all I got Um, Dwayne to be on the podcast. (laughs) Dwayne, you're doing great. You're crushing it right now. Over there. But uh, yeah, I wrote my story and this is at the beginning of quarantine in March. And, you know, the owner at the time was super receptive to it and, published it for web and for print and social media. And I became after that, just a regular contributing writer and sharing stories about other people. And I just found this like passion in putting your average person in a magazine, putting them on a website. People love to talk about themselves. People love to share. And through my experience doing that, I was able to do that for other people and other stories and helping people just get more connected. Um, in short, um, the owner was, uh, he had run his course with the magazine um, and we had a conversation and I said, can I have it? <laughs> <laughs> My grandma taught me, you don't ask, you don't get. There you go. Um, so, yeah. So all the legalities aside, uh, I'm the owner of Nashville magazine, Nashville Fit Magazine now and uh it's really exciting and it's taking my career in PR and writing and storytelling and pairing it with my passion for fitness and, you know, kind of this pass it on effect, one person sharing, another person sharing and just creating this community through vulnerability, which we keep coming back to, but like that is the core of all the things. And uh, I'm super excited and passionate about it and uh, just getting started. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, so before we wrap up, we, we always ask all of our guests, uh, to give us their three favorite soccer players that can be current, not current. And just in general, three, three players that, that you watched that made an impact in your life. That's tough. (laughs) Okay. Currently Walker Zimmerman, Nashville, soccer killing it really killing it super proud nashville uh we're showing up so i'll say walker for sure um abby i mean can't not love abby and i've actually refereed her that's awesome an international friendly that was pretty cool and i'm a sucker for alex morgan she's just like america's girl crush (laughs) (laughs) i have to go with her all right that's good yeah. Well, Nicole, we we want to say thank you for for being on today. Um, I think the as tough as some of these things are to talk about at times, I think it's important to be able to find the the avenue to talk about them. Um, I think without you being on the podcast, I don't think I would have ever really told the uh, told my my referee story. Um, 
uh even yeah i, I don't think i i don't think i ever would have um so I, I i appreciate you coming on because that that opened uh opened the 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 door for me to to talk about that but i also want to say thank you because i think for us as 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 a soccer club in in delaware i think having people to talk having people talk to our players through this format uh instead of you know us getting you to fly in or us getting you to zoom in and talk to you know two, 150 different girls soccer players or 250 kids in general i think this is an, an avenue to to talk about what you've gone through what your journey's been and 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 how you've 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 turned it into a positive and you've and and I think the one of the biggest things, and when we go back to this vulnerability word, is that, and you've mentioned that a bunch of times as we talked and through the last hour, you're not done, right? This are, these are things that you go through with every single day. Um, it's not something that you just wake up and go, "All right, I've I've I'm done with that part. Like I can I can do something else now." Like, you know, you it's something that you're that you're constantly dealing with. Um, and now you've had it. You've added uh, the the different role of being a role model, um, and which again can come in with a lot of pressure because now is it now you're not necessarily uh, fighting the pressure from yourself. You're also fighting the pressure of what other people may or may not think about you from a different perspective now. Um, so I want to say thank you because I think I think this opens up. Um, Topics of conversation, um, I think for 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 us to talk about, uh, which are not necessarily always talked about. Um, as we said last week, you know, the soft skills are the ones that are the hardest to to achieve. Vulnerability, empathy, um, are things that in the sports world are are uncommon to to talk about because at that point, it, it almost like you're you're not you know, you're, you're not mentally ready to compete if you're, if you're vulnerable, you know, if, if all of a sudden you're going to have a mental breakdown in the middle of a game, you're, you're, you're a liability. Um, and, and that's not, that's not the case at all. I think it's something that it's, you know, there's, there's a reason why soccer has four pillars of the game and psychosocial is one of those. It's a, it's a quarter of the game. Um, and probably the most, one of the most important things that if you don't have a good foundation and a good, good well-roundedness of, of being able to talk about things or being able to process things. It becomes very difficult to do anything else. Um, so any, any, any final thoughts from your end before we wrap up? Honestly, like you just hit the nail on that. I think just, yeah, vulnerability, talking about things, that's not weakness, that's strength. Um, because you're not only helping yourself, chances are you're helping someone else. And me doing that opened up so many doors. If I had just shown my highlight reel, as most people do on social media, I probably wouldn't be the owner of a magazine. I probably, you know, you use the word role, role model, which I'm still uh, getting comfortable with, but I wouldn't, you wouldn't have opened up to me today if I didn't share my story. And then it just creates this chain of we're all human. Yeah. Um, and we are. So I just encourage more of that. Great. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for joining us this week. And remember, always receive the ball on your front foot.